Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. I'm Pastor Doug Taylor, and I'm joined by Dr. Dave Vance, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church. We have campuses in Shelby and Mansfield, Ohio. This 15-minute podcast is designed to help you or your small group go deeper in God's Word and to grow deeper in life application. We're in a series uh, about Jonah, in the book of Jonah, and we've titled this episode, A Fish Called Brokenness. And I've, I've grown up in the church, and I've been to Sunday school since I can remember, and um, love hearing about this. And I remember even like third and fourth grade kids debating what this big fish was. And um, it, it's a neat uh, story, and it's true. Every, every word in God's word is true. And this book has been amazing as we've been looking at the story of Jonah and God. That's what we've been focusing on. But we're here to the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two, and now it's time for the fish. The fish and is here. And before I ask you the question, I know you're a history buff and I know you're you're a biblical scholar, so I'm looking forward to hearing kind of uh, what your take wow, that's, is that's on not this. A, a, a big uh, status <laughs> to live up to there. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I don't go fishing, but I did this summer for the very first time way up in Canada. And I was in a two man boat and I caught just a huge pike and really big walleye. So now after one time, I feel like I'm a fisherman. And so fisherman. I can relate, yeah. But holding that pike, you know, how big, <laughs> holding that pike, I can't imagine, you know, being in the belly of it. Right, right. But it's to that moment that we've been waiting for. What do you think this fish could have been? Yes, that is the question we all we all debate and wonder. And, and let me just say a couple things. You know, first of all, uh, the historicity of the story of Jonah. You know, we, we kind of hear this almost like it's a fairy tale or a kid's story, but we find in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually brings this up as an historical statement. And he talks about that, that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, he references himself. And so Jesus believed this was an historical moment. I think it's so important for us to realize that, that if we believe this is just some made-up story, then, then we're throwing out even the teaching of Jesus because he believed in the historicity of, of the fact that Jonah happened and it happened this way. Now, that's what leads us to this debate, right? Is Then how could a man live in the belly of a fish for three days? And, and I want to go to an article by Popular Mechanics from December 2001. This is a secular uh, uh, magazine, uh, and the article was called Science Solves More Mysteries of the Bible. And uh, I want to read it to you. It says, for Jonah to have survived being swallowed by a whale, four things, and they, they called it a whale, four things had to happen. A large enough creature had to be involved. Jonah had to pass over the animal's teeth sufficiently unmolested to survive. He had to avoid the acidity of the digestive juices. He had to have enough oxygen to survive for three days. And then it says this, listen to this, this is kind of the, their summary. A large sperm whale can easily swallow lumps of food eight feet in diameter, could have swallowed a man in a gush of water without chewing him. If the fish in the story of Jonah was sick or had died, it just might be that Jonah could have survived inside until he was washed out of the whale's mouth or regurgitated. Uh, This article goes on to list two accounts where men were swallowed by fish and survive. This is in a secular magazine. Um, in fact, in the, the head of a blue whale, uh, there's a, an air chamber that's large enough to be able to hold a man. And the sinus, the nasal sinus passage actually uh, measures seven feet long. It's actually insulated. You could live in the sinus passage and the whale would be actually bringing in oxygen. So you could actually live in there. Um, 
There's also, and this is uh, this is one that will blow your mind. Cable TV in there, or I don't know that I could live in there. You but could, a human could, a human could, but I couldn't. Um, and the other thing, this is crazy. I, I read an article: Mediterranean tuna. Wow, that's what I actually believe. A Mediterranean tuna. Uh, there's there's large mounds of Mediterranean tuna in the Mediterranean Sea, obviously, and uh, you know we call tuna chicken, chicken of the sea. <laughs> right. Uh, there's big ones, and they actually um, have low acidity, and they uh, are able to produce oxygen inside of their stomachs. And uh, in, in whatever way you look at it, it's like sushi in reverse. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the fish had a little wasabi with Jonah when they when he ate him, um, but. Here's the point. Impossible things happen all the time, right? We have stories of, of people that fell out of planes at 33,000 feet and survived. We have stories of a man. There's a man, by the way, by the name of Roy Sullivan in Virginia who was struck by lightning seven times. He was a park ranger, struck by lightning seven times. He, he became the title human lightning rod, and he survived it. Um, so I think the point of it is impossible things happen all the time. This would not be impossible. There are stories of people that lived in a belly of the fish. Maybe not as long as Jonah, but certainly for some period of time. And, uh, and for me, Jesus believes it, so I, I, I do, do as well. And I do as well. And it's a Mediterranean tuna, in my opinion. Okay, good good answer. Good answer. So we've been looking at this story. Certainly Jonah was supposed to go to Tarshish, and he, that God had something for him to do there. He was running from God, got on this boat, and then, then it started. The storm came, right? This huge storm. Everyone's blaming everybody. Then uh, they finally get to the point where Jonah says, just throw me over, right? So Jonah gets tossed over, and, and here we are. Certainly a moment of desperation. You know, they're casting lots. They're trying to figure out what to do. They heave this dude overboard, and, he, and it's just a desperate situation. Have you ever felt that same desperation or something like it in your life when you were just like, just throw me over? Yeah, you know, there, there was a, there's been multiple moments like that uh, where you're just like ready to throw in the towel. I think we've all been backed in the corner like that, felt that there's no solution available. Uh, maybe for some it's a report you received, a bill you can't pay, a relationship you can't resolve, a problem you couldn't figure out, and it leaves you desperate. And I think we've all been there. I, I remember uh, we were in, in the middle of trying to transition homes and uh, we were going from a townhouse to a single family home in the Washington, D.C. area. And it became a desperate place. Uh, our single family home fell through and we already had a buyer for our townhouse. And I remember uh, we were desperate. We were trying to figure that out. And we had to move in actually with my in-laws. And what we thought was going to be just a few months stay ended up being a year. And uh, you can imagine the, the stress of that. I love my in-laws, but living with them for a year, it was on their side and our side. It was tough. And I remember being very desperate. And this is what I would say about that, Doug. Desperation is a powerful force because it focuses our attention and energies on the things that we believe count and then pushes us to make a determination in order to get what we don't have or we think we need to solve the problem. And sometimes it just doesn't happen the way we think it should. And so we're left really desperate. And yet desperation can be of great value. And in the story of Jonah, this is where God brings Jonah to a place of desperation. He's running from God and God is not finished with him. He brings him to a place of desperation. Yeah. And we see desperate people all around us in our own households and people that we work with. And we just, we just see it. We spend time with people that are desperate for all kinds of reasons. But what are some ways people react in your opinion? How do they react when they're in that moment of desperation? Yeah, there's a few ways that we can act. Two that come out specifically from a human standpoint is first of all, we try to ignore the problem. 
I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to medicate it, self-medicate it. Uh, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to veg. I'm going to take a vacation, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore the problem of this desperation. And instead of running into the desperation, we run away from it and, and, and miss the value of it in our lives. Or instead of ignoring it, uh, we actually attempt to solve it on our own. And we, by the way, see that in the story of Jonah. Uh, in the sailors of the boat that he, he gets on, the first thing they do is try to solve the desperate moment of the storm, and they begin to throw things overboard. Uh, Jonah here doesn't try to solve it. In fact, what I would say is he, he's ignoring the desperation until chapter two, when he eventually cries out for God. And that's a third option, is we can cry out to God in the midst of our desperation, because that's exactly what God is stirring in us, a cry for him to look uh, look to him uh, with 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 more intensity and more focus. For those of us that are Christ followers, does God let us become complacent and walk away, or does He come after us? You know, that's an interesting question, Doug, because Jonah is a, a obviously a prophet of God, running from the call of God to go to Nineveh, and it does seem that God is letting him kind of walk away a little bit. But God is in control of the entire situation. That's the important thing. Is God does not let us run successfully. God does not let us sin successfully, right? God is going to come after us. And every story, uh, every step we take away, God is making a way in the midst of that. And, and here we actually see that. I want to read some of the words from chapter two. Uh, he says, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of the grave I cried and you heard me. For you cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I've been driven from your sight. The deep has surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. Uh, I want you to think about that for a moment. All the words of down and deep and dark and billows and uh, wrapped around the roots of the mountain and went down in the land whose bars closed around me. You get this image of down. Here is Jonah, what seems to be going down, yet it's where God's going to get him the greatest. And so uh, what we find here is that in our brokenness, there's awareness. And, and that's important for us to get. The heart of brokenness is not a crisis, but it's an awareness. See, you can have brokenness without crisis, but awareness begins with desperation for God. And that's what God is stirring in Jonah is a desperation for him. I think... Um I love verse 9. I think verse 9 of Jonah chapter 2 is kind of the pinnacle of the book, right? Can you explain explain that verse to us? Yeah, it, it says in verse 9, uh, and this is the summary of this moment in the fish. It says in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um and, and what Jonah is talking about here is not mere physical salvation or physical survival because he doesn't know yet if he's going to physically survive. This is spiritual revival. This is, a, this is an awakening in him that salvation truly does belong to the Lord. And can I tell you, Doug, I think this is the hardest lesson for us to learn, that salvation starts with God and it ends with God. And for some of us, we struggle a lifetime to learn that. We do. We struggle a lifetime because we have to learn it over and over again that he has the right to save. It is his choice to save us. It is his doing to save and rescue us. And so when we read this, God is bringing a greater awareness that salvation belongs to him. Um, that means there can be deliverance without remembrance. There can be remembrance without deliverance. No matter what, 
salvation belongs to the Lord. It is God who is ultimately going to save. And in our lives, that's where our trust has to be is that God is the author and finisher of salvation. He is the, the completer of our faith. And so we can trust him in that way. We see Jonah was delivered both spiritually and physically, but how can we apply this to our own life? How does this book, how does this, this episode that, Jonah, that happens to Jonah, how can we apply that to us? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, a couple of things. God doesn't abandon us in our brokenness. He actually is shining through in our brokenness. He's actually showing himself more fully in the moments that we're broken. I want to give you a couple of things to think about as we end, um, just in the sense of how we apply this. First of all, God uses brokenness to get our attention. In Jonah, God is using brokenness to, uh, to really overcome his self-centeredness. See, that's what God does. God uses brokenness to to disengage our self-centeredness so that he is the only thing that remains. He is diffusing our, our prideful hearts so that God remains what we have to look for. And, and, and what we find here in Jonah is this journey, right? He runs, there's a storm. The storm doesn't cause him to come back. And so they throw him overboard. That doesn't cause him to come back. So he's, he's swallowed by a fish. And now we see him saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. God was diffusing Jonah's pride this entire time. And by the way, the story isn't done yet. He's going to continue to diffuse him and his pride. Uh, secondly, I would say God also hears our cries. When we cry out to him in our desperation, God hears our cries. I, I love chapter two. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And then it says, and he answered me. God hears our cries and responds. Then God produces a devotion in us. What we find then is all of a sudden Jonah willing to yield his pride and say, God, you are what I need. It's, uh, it, it's kind of like when our kids, when we teach our kids to swim, you know how they, they paddle and they paddle really hard. And then all of a sudden they, they, they realize they can swim. And at first they're fighting it. And then they give in. Jonah here is fighting and then eventually he gives in. That's the image. Brokenness diffuses us. So now we say, wait a minute. God, this is all really about you, not about me. And then God delivers, and I would say God delivers in his time. In the perfect time, at the right moment, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Uh, the fish got sick off of Jonah. And the Lord, in the right time, got him to the right place. So what we find is this fish vomited Jonah right where he needed to be. And that's what brokenness does. Uh, the fish was a protective haven from the sea, a personal transport to the coast, and a private sanctuary with the Lord to get exactly where God wants him. And in our seasons of brokenness, God is working in that same way. He is directing us and leading us right to where he wants us to be for the best use for his glory. It's our prayer that you would have the strength to depend on God and walk faithfully with him. If you're in the midst of a desperate time, ask God to search your heart and make it known to you if this is his discipline to write your ship into his will.